0: Welcome to the Digital Orthopedics Podcast. My name is Dr. Stefano Obini, and I will be your host for this new season, bringing you the best talks from the DocSF Experience 2021. I hope you enjoyed Dr. Ira Kirshenbaum's presentation as much as we did. It is so important to maintain a long-term view on digital investments. To follow that great talk and to stay on the theme of innovation, but looking to the future as much as the present, we bring you the brand new DocSF Venture. Desk. It's being led by our very own Dr. Nancy Lynch, an orthopedic surgeon turned consultant and venture capitalist, who will interview Unity Stokes, a founder of Startup Health, and Amy Belt Raimundo, the lead at KP Ventures, to better understand where venture capitalists, or as they like to call themselves smart money, are investing their money and what aspects of digital health that are applicable to orthopedics are receiving the most funding. I mean, what trends are they seeing? How much is actually being spent and on what technologies? Okay, so let's join Nancy, Unity, and Amy on the DocSF21 virtual stage.
1: I'm Nancy Lynch. I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and I've also spent a part of my career as a venture capitalist. I'm joined today by two veteran healthcare investors, Amy Raimundo, Managing Director of Kaiser Permanente Ventures, and Unity Stokes, President of Startup Health. They're going to offer their perspective on investment trends in the musculoskeletal digital health space, and maybe, just maybe, they'll give us some hints about where they are looking to find the next moonshots in the space. Amy and Unity, greetings. We are happy to have you here today. But before we begin, would you give our audience a sense of your experience in the
2: space, Amy? Sure. Thanks, Nancy. It's great to be here. Nancy said I'm the managing director of Kaiser Permanente Ventures. I've been in venture since 2006. But prior to venture, I was actually in the medical device space in an operating role with Guidant and cardiovascular. And then part of my venture background is in strategic venture for medical device uh, with Covidian's venture capital group. And I began my career as a consultant in the healthcare space working on clinical guideline development. Which I think you know, really informs a lot of my thinking in this space. That's great. Unity.
3: Thanks, Nancy. It's great to be here. Unity Stokes. At Startup Health, we're really on a mission to solve uh, many of the largest health challenges of our time. We call them health moonshots. We've invested in close to 400 health innovation companies from 26 countries. And really my background is as an entrepreneur from the technology world. So I moved into healthcare about 15 years ago and started investing in the space about a decade ago. So it's great to be here and and look forward to having this conversation.
1: Well, we're happy to have both of you here, as I said earlier,
3: and both of you bring
1: very diverse backgrounds to this discussion today. So I'm looking forward to this, but to set stage for our discussion, let me share some data with you to get your reaction. In the last decade, an impressive amount of money has been raised by healthcare venture capitalists on an annual basis. And this data that I'm sharing is both U.S. and European investment firms. Venture investments in the digital health space have followed a very similar course over the last three to five years. And during the same time frame, and just to give some perspective to the audience, total VC investments in the healthcare space have just exploded over this time, particularly last year. Now, let's, let's take a look more closely at, digital, at the digital health space in particular. Over the last five-plus years, the total amount of venture investment, the total number of deals done, and the average deal size have been steadily increasing since 2015. 2020 was a really big year. Now, 2020 was exceptional in many ways, many ways that aren't related at all to investment, but in regard to the digital health space, 14 billion dollars of venture money was invested into that space and that's up nearly 200% since 2019. 2020 was dominated by big dollar deals, but small dollar deals were a significant part of the story for musculoskeletal care. Deals of 100 million that what we call the mega deals, 100 million or more, went to 9% of the digital health companies but comprised 44% of the investment dollars. Now In a slight contrast, musculoskeletal deals of less than $20 million represented an impressive 87% of the deals being done in the space and 44% of the dollars done in 2020 alone. Now, maybe our panelists will be able to address it. Perhaps that differential represents a more nascent musculoskeletal digital health industry. As of today... 2021 seems to have no bounds with more than a 200% increase in venture dollars into the digital health space compared to the same quarter just one year ago. This picture in a picture details the amount of money invested in musculoskeletal digital health over the last three years. The graph itself shows on a quarterly basis what happened in 2020. The 2020 investments into musculoskeletal digital health looked eerily similar to any graph of 2020 we've seen uh, for anything that happened last year. We ended the year with some big dollar deals, but Total 2020 venture investments in the musculoskeletal space were nearly double the prior two years combined. Looking at the the last three years in aggregate for musculoskeletal digital health investments, AI-based technologies comprised about 50% of those investments. Some of those dollars went to more advanced spaces, such as imaging or some platform technologies, but I think of note, at least a quarter of the investments went to technologies related to surgery itself, such as the technical performance using virtual reality or augmented reality, image guidance happening during, the, during a procedure, remote consultation in the operating room, robots, and smart implants. So at this point, I'm going to bring back our panelists to discuss the findings that we've just that I just shared with you. You know, Amy and Unity, it's it's actually really hard to ignore the impact of the last 12 months on investments in the digital health space, but the upward trend has been obvious for 5 or more years. Both of you know that. That said, it, it does feel like we're in a new environment for startups looking for money. I'd like it if both of you, what, you know, what are your reactions? Share your reactions to the financings in the, in the musculoskeletal care space over the past 3 years and why is it going here? and has there been something that's changed recently to make musculoskeletal care digital health a more interesting space for you
2: amy yeah i mean, i would say that you know the the trend is coinciding with covid which has been a catalyst and a catalyst in bringing money into the sector in general in a catalyst in changing you know, in a lot of ways, you know, how people are practicing medicine, which then I think those two together create an opportunity to invest in digital health and then digital health and musculoskeletal. You know, what I think about the musculoskeletal is, it is sort of the next big area of spend, you know, where we saw big dollars and then, you know, big outcomes go in, you know, Livongo, you know, starting sort of the diabetes space, Omada has gotten, you know, again, full disclosure, a portfolio company of Kaiser Permanente Ventures has gotten a lot of investment because that's a big area of spend. And there's an opportunity there. You know, I go back to my consulting days, Musculoskeletal was always on the top of the list to look at and see, you know, what we could do to enhance outcomes and you know, focus on making sure the spend is appropriate for the outcome. And I think that's you know why we're seeing you know an uptick in interest in musculoskeletal now is sort of the next next big thing. And you know, Amada's acquisition of Pfizer is another example of that, is you know, you start in the big markets where there's, you know, a significant need, and then you start going to the next big markets.
3: That's great. I totally agree with all of that. And I think there's, if you go back a decade, actually, you see how the trend has just continued to accelerate in that direction. I think there's finally a, a recognition from the market of the significant need that there's a demand that is only accelerating in this this post covid world as it relates to msk you know 50% of americans report a chronic msk issue 20% of the healthcare visits are related to this area 200 billion dollars are spent so there's finally i think you know there's been this layer in the early years over the last decade that put in place the frameworks. And now we're seeing a focus in sub areas, sub sectors that are really benefiting from the innovation frameworks that have been laid over the past decade. So telehealth is one example, just broadly. And then now that's being leveraged in very specific, tangible ways related to MSK. So a lot of the the innovation work that's been done over the past years, including business model innovation, payment model reform, regulatory changes, and validation of outcomes. There's a lot more data than we've had even a few years ago. So I think as you see, as Amy mentioned, you know, Omada acquiring Fizera and the, the great platform race we're seeing with with Lavango and Teledoc and American Well, I think there's going to be a wave of focus in this area specifically because of those frameworks that have been laid and then I would also add two, two things. There's, there's a convergence of innovation in different areas. So there's digital innovation, there's robotics innovation, there's AI, there's augmented reality, virtual reality. A lot of these innovations are converging in very exciting ways that are making certain new innovations possible in, in these specific areas. And I think this is all only accelerating in an after-COVID or post-COVID world.
1: So to both of you, healthcare VCs have a lot of money to put to work. We saw that on one of the slides. They raised an enormous amount of money over the last three years. In fact, that total was about $37 billion in the last three years alone. $16.8 of which was raised in 2020 alone. Where is VCE going to be deploying that money in the digital health tech space in the near future? And it'd be great to have you address things that are related to musculoskeletal health, or at least inclusive of musculoskeletal health, but but where is it going to be deployed to have a transformative impact down the line?
2: I can jump in. You know, we've seen some interesting you know deployments already, and I would distinguish them from the past. So when you think about sort of the rehab, prehab area, you know there was a lot of companies that you know went after that early and didn't didn't survive it because the the key to that is that you have to be able to prove outcomes and prove that you are having an impact and can create a moat around. Your business and prove that your business is affecting that spend and those outcomes for patients, and I think that is a transition we are seeing in the companies that are getting a lot of capital. Because what you don't want is a bunch of copycats if you don't have something specific. I would say the other, you know, big area is in this convergence that Unity talked about where it is sort of digitizing the OR and enabling surgeons. So whether it be robotics and navigation, VR and training, and again, that's an area that we have made an investment in Oso VR, is it enables scaling training to drive, you know, broader outcomes. And it, what's interesting there is that that's also something that is being supported by the medical device industry. Uh, that is an area where they see the ability to sort of enable the both uptick and quality of the you know, procedures that they are creating you know, implants for, or they're creating technologies for. You know, this is a way that they can ensure outcomes you know, for those technologies in a scalable way that's just come, become more important over time. And then I would say the broader theme of digitizing the OR. And we're seeing that in musculoskeletal, but we're seeing that broadly. And that is again an area where there is a bit of a convergence of interests, whether it be the you know the health system, the surgeon, the medical technology companies, of being able to drive you know consistency and outcome. That you know, then it sort of improves the improves things for everyone. So I, I would say those are areas that are sort of big interesting areas that then people are seeing the opportunity to deploy, you know, a lot of capital.
3: Yeah, I would add there's almost two parallel investment paths going on. One is focused on what I would call incremental innovation, really fixing things related to workflow, making things more efficient, getting virtual care the virtual care stack focused in these areas. And then there's a whole other type of investment focused on what I would call transformative solutions, more more of the sci-fi related type investments that that are really thinking longer term about leaping us forward. And I'm seeing investments happen at the early stage in both parallel paths. I think in the near term, at the later stage of investing, there's this great platform race going on where these public companies now like Teladongo or Teladoc and Lavango, and the ones that have great traction like Omada are really accelerating in this area. But there's this whole wave of early, early stage innovation going on that's experimenting with new transformative kind of innovations that may not pay off for a few years. So we're seeing a lot of investment in both areas. And it's it's just a very robust market right now with all the capital moving on, but also because the demand from the market has accelerated in this post-COVID world, Really, since March of 2020, I think things are only accelerating in, in terms of both of these parallel innovation paths.
1: That's great. And Amy, going back to what you were talking about, the um, digitizing the operating room. I think the data that we showed early, about or earlier in this panel, about 25% of the investments in the space are going into some some form technical performance of the of the procedure i think that that speaks well to what you're saying i'm wondering how has the convergence of health and tech changed your view on on perhaps your syndicate with whom you invest and and maybe even you you hinted at it who the potential acquirers are because that that's a very traditional med tech type of investment approach who are our acquirers how any thoughts on how it's changing your syndicates and and how it's how it's changing your exit abuse
2: yeah no it's interesting because i would say that you know i spent some time before it was with kaiser permanente ventures with evidation health which you know has it was an interesting combination of deep healthcare expertise and deep technical you know tech side expertise and at the time the, the two you know sort of operated in, in opposing Orbits. I think we're seeing the maturing of that, where these teams are becoming. You actually integrate those things, and you're also then integrating the syndicates of these folks. And so, you know, we've got investments with Samsung Ventures as a syndicate partner because they're bringing something to the table, you know, that as healthcare, you know, experts we don't have about what's possible. Because I think there is the, you know, both both sides have a very good knowledge of what's possible in very different ways. And so I think we're looking to round out, you know, both independent board members as well as syndicate partners looking to blend those things together. You know, in terms of exits, I think it's interesting that, you know, Omada was a buyer. It's interesting that Teladoc was a buyer because I think, you know, there's sort of this interesting now that the digital health Universe has matured sufficiently that the digital health universe is actually an interesting exit opportunity as well. And then you know, Livongo proved that you know there's a public market for digital health, which again was sort of an open question for a long time. The sort of possible factor there. And then you know, I think you know we'll see if the if the tech companies become acquires, you know, I think, you know, that, that becomes a, again, sort of an open question of like, how do they play in the space and what's the flavor that they feel like they need to acquire versus build themselves and what businesses do they want to get into? Because, you know, healthcare is complicated There's parts of those businesses you want to be part of and parts of those businesses, you know, it, it may be so different from their current business model that, you know, it's not the right fit, but I think we're keeping our eye on all of those and try not to sort of naively say, Hey, oh, you know, so-and-so is an acquirer because (laughs) they're a big tech company, but keeping that in mind as as we're, you know, making these investments. But I think, you know, partly it's the, you know, what we've seen now is actually the public companies, you know, going public and the public companies can actually, you know, be acquirers here because the industry has matured sufficiently. Exactly. So money is going
1: everywhere, everywhere in the digital health tech space right now. And some of these investments are going to be wildly successful and some are not. Unity, what what areas of musculoskeletal care are ripe for that radical transformation via digital technology? And, you know, I guess, what really does that moonshot look like in in this space?
3: Yeah, I I think to start with anything that's making it cheaper, easier, helping change behavior to... You know, fix some of the significant issues around chronic pain and and these things that are really impacting so much of the population. I think as we broaden our lens, two things we're also really excited about is one the global perspective. This really is a universal issue globally. Um, it's not just affecting Americans. So when you broaden the lens, there's a lot of exciting innovation happening globally in this area. We. One of our companies from our portfolio, Joint Academy, just raised a big Series B. They're out of Europe, Buddy Healthcare out of Europe. There's a lot of exciting things going on around the world. The second thing is there's a lot of really cool innovation going on that's going direct to consumer, maybe through other businesses. Things that automotive companies are doing, for example, things that sports related to sports for athletes, exoskeleton type things, for example. So as we broaden the lens around different types of innovation that is going to make the impact, I would just say we're really in the first wave of exciting innovation in this area. I would equate it to the Netscape era before e-commerce or the before Google or before mobile. We're very, very early in an exciting way and there's many exciting generations to come for what's happening at global scale here.
1: I, I think that's a great, a great analogy, taking a look at it that way. And I think it's a great time to, I realize that we have, we just scratched the surface in, in speaking together today, but it's a great way to to wrap up. I, I want to thank both Amy and Unity for the time that you've you've shared and the the thoughts that you've shared with us. And I'm certain that that this has stimulated a lot of questions from our audience. So from the Venture Desk at DocSF21, I want to thank Amy and Unity for their time. Now let's get to the questions from our audience. So we have some sense of where the money is going and why. So let's let's talk a little bit about risk and how risk alters your investment approach to digital health. I, I would say, looking back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, traditional med-, med tech venture funds, they took on a lot of risk. And it's risk that many aren't willing to do so much anymore. And you, you got to wonder why. I mean, I guess the argument might be that if you can go direct to consumer or other technologies that don't touch patients directly, why would you take on clinical and regulatory risk? So, Amy, I'm curious, how does clinical regulatory risk and even reimbursement risk impact your investment decisions in this space in particular?
2: Yeah, and I fully remember alongside you the the taking of risk and also taking the unknown. We were taking a risk. Some of the sort of reimbursement questions back and the and the device discussion that are well better characterized now. But I would say that you know that it's almost like a different sets of risks is one question. So there's going direct to consumer is not without its risk. It's just a different set of risks than clinical or regulatory or reimbursement risk. And I would say in general, you know, the digital health, you know, initially just didn't know what risks, you know, from a commercial perspective, they were going after, and so that is again more characterized. Are you going after an employer channel? Are you trying to go after you know health plan paying? Is the provider paying? And understanding you know what it takes to actually get paid. And so I think it's really different. Being very clear on who's the buyer and what do they need. I think, you know, one of the things that I think digital health in general didn't appreciate in its early days was if you're going after an institutional buyer, you need institutional level evidence that you're better <laughs> and that you're providing the value that you think you're providing. And so I think, you know, from our calculation, we just are looking to match the risk with the reward. And so if the you know, risk you're taking on is matched by a very large market that you create a moat around, then, you know, that's worth taking because it actually keeps competitors out. If everybody can do it, then you actually, you know, you can as easily get taken out as somebody else. And then, you know, although you didn't take a risk, you also didn't keep anybody else from taking a risk. So, a lot of it is just making sure you're matching, well characterizing what the risk is and matching that risk with the reward.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. And Unity, I'm wondering, you know, anything you would want to add on to that, but also what other risks are moderating your enthusiasm over the space technology, cybersecurity risk?
3: Yeah, I think two quick thoughts. One, I think we're still not taking enough risk. And I know a lot of risk has been taken a lot of, as we've discussed, a lot of capital has flowed in and a lot of experimentation has happened over the past 10 years, but I still think we're not taking enough risk because a lot of these big macro risks are really slow moving risk. They are dynamic in a sense, they're out of our control. So we believe the best way to mitigate for that type of risk is really to focus on the entrepreneurs and innovators themselves and really betting big on on teams and leaders that are able to have the mindset to be dynamic, have the mindset to basically be creative in a world full of risk. As we've discussed, I think the, everything changed. The world changed a year ago. No one was predicting that. And you see those companies that have thrived over the past year, and those innovators who pivoted or adapted pretty quickly. So, you know, really the best way is to mitigate by focusing on entrepreneurs, innovators that are able to be dynamic and manage risk. I equate, you know, there's a lot of surgeons watching, you know, you have your training, you have your expertise, you go in with plan during surgery, but things in a dynamic situation change. And it's, those surgeons with the mindset to calmly uh, adapt to the moment that are best equipped to manage that. So we think obviously being an entrepreneur a little different than being a surgeon, but you know really being able to, to go in and focus on the teams and the mindsets of those teams is what's critical.
1: No, that that's great. And and I think there's another risk that we really haven't Talked about at least not explicitly here. You know, underlying our conversation, there's an assumption that the market is there if we build it. You know, the market will accept it, but it isn't always. There. How do you assess market risk in this space as you're as you're looking to make investments?
2: I mean, from my perspective, that has actually been one of the most difficult aspects of digital health because it's a brand new market. But as Unity points out, over the last year. Yeah, there's just been an explosion because of a sort of external circumstances that really accelerated the adoption of, you know, certain things virtual. But, you know, some of that has actually been happening in the background slowly. But that's always been sort of the big question is you're making a bet based on a market that is going to develop, you think. <laughs> and, you know, and, and things tend to develop more slowly than you hope. But I think this goes back to, you know, what you know the sort of the total addressable market you can imagine and making sure the as they say the juice is worth the squeeze. <laughs> so if you go after big markets with big opportunities for advancing the field and advancing outcomes, advancing experience for hospitals and physicians and surgeons, you know, then you know you can make the bet that the market will develop. What you don't want to do is make the risky bet that the market will develop on a relatively small market. So I think that's the key. You don't want to sort of go after a big unknown around the market and have it be small going into it. Right.
3: You know. Yeah, what I mean? I think a, a big part of this is being in the innovation sphere that you're in over a long period of time. And as we saw, you know, the biggest change of the last year, I think, is the market actually started developing. The, the innovation has been developing for the past many years, but the customers started to show up. The, the, the behavior change happened, the usage of this innovation started to happen. And I think those innovators that had the staying power over many, many years got to this moment and are now able to leverage their position, the assets they've created, from this moment where the market dynamics changed. I think we're only gonna see this accelerate both in new sub markets, but also globally as as additional markets open up.
1: That's great. I do see, we have a question in, in from our audience. They want your opinion on, what are your thoughts on smart implants?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I
2: think anything around sort of smart sensors data, it actually comes back to the physician, the surgeon, who, what are they going to do with the information? Are they going to act differently? Are they going to trust the information? And then will that change in behavior affect the outcome in a measurable way? And I think because it's really, it's almost the lessons of diagnostics, which is more information that's just more information that's not acted upon is actually not super valuable and won't be valued in the market, won't be valued by health plans, but if it's information, you can make a direct tie to, oh, I actually was going to do X, but now I'm going to do Y. And then I can draw a direct line to why changed the outcome, why changed the, you know, the affordability, or why change something that was meaningful that you could attribute to that change in behavior. I think being able to draw that straight line is very important.
3: If I could add, I think there's so much going on in this area, both with smart implants as well as smart technologies around like the exoskeleton that are actually around your body. But as we're seeing with brain-computer interface and a lot of the sort of connection between AI and computers and implanting into your body, the BCI movement and innovation there with companies like neuralink with elon musk's company is just an extraordinary i think future opportunity for where things are going i think we'll see it throughout the msk space in fact be a big part of the next wave of innovation over the next coming decade
1: I think that is a great optimistic way to end our segment. I think this has been a really great discussion. I, I think it's so energizing to imagine the, the what if of innovation and Unity, you said it earlier that this is, we're really, this is the first wave of innovation in this space. So we've got a lot to come. So Unity, Amy, I wanna thank you for being part of the maiden voyage of Venture Desk <laughs> at DocSF. And while this segment has come to an end, the day is not over yet. Stefano, I'm handing it over to you to introduce our encore sessions.
0: Excellent. 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 I love the message at the end of that segment, which was don't look at the current state of innovation as a predictive future state. We're looking at a very rapidly moving space. Unity and Amy and Nancy are keeping an eye out for us on that seeing what technologies are on the horizon that will be valid and valuable next decade. So thank you, All three of you, Indy, Amy, and Nancy for joining us today. On behalf of all of us at DocSF, the Digital Orthopedics Conference in San Francisco, thanks for listening and for joining our community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review and tell your friends. If you're interested in joining our team, participating, or being interviewed on DocSF, please let us know. If not, please join the revolution and listen up for our next podcast.